Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Welcome back, everybody. We have Anya Combs, the Director of Gaming Outreach for Kickstarter, and she is currently my favorite you know, host because in my wonderful <laughs> planning on this, I forgot to put her on the official schedule, despite the fact that she was on the schedule. So for those of you who did not know, I'm just gonna be here, surprise. Kickstarter Hello. AMA. Look at this. <laughs> it's like a random perk. So I love it. Let's start, you know, where we started last time. And so you did one of these for our last event. And mm -hmm. it's awesome. And we really appreciate it because it's always one of the most, you know, ask about things on our Discord server is like, how do I do this? What do I do? What do I need to do? Right. Tell us a, a little bit about, you know, how you got into this, what you sure. do at Kickstarter, and then we'll just dive into some of these questions. Sure. So I have been in the games industry uh, over a decade. So it's been about 12 years. It'll be 13 years next year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I kind of just fell into the industry like I think a lot of people have. Uh, I, I just realized you can see my saxophone behind here. Pointing is hard. Uh, so I studied music. That's what I thought I would do. And I tried to do the music thing and I realized very quickly that I don't really like working in the music industry and that's a story for another day. Uh, and so I applied for this job at what was then MTV Networks uh, that was basically like um, scouting for flash games for addictinggames.com. So I was one of the people, one of the main people to find a lot of the games for addictinggames.com as a developer relations role. Um, I did a lot of different things for AG. I did production. I did a little bit of development. I did, you know, community building, community management, scouting, things like that. Um, really kind of ran the gamut of what I was doing. Uh, and uh, I got moved out from the San Francisco office to New York uh, about seven years ago, almost eight years ago. 
And I worked at HQ. Uh, at that point, we were really fully owned by Nickelodeon. So I, I basically was a Nickelodeon employee. Uh, so I got moved out about seven years ago and got moved to HQ on uh, Broadway Street in uh, Times Square, which was crazy. Uh, and that was a bit of a jarring experience working in Times Square for like two and a half years. Uh, I was moved around a lot to a couple different teams and did a lot of different like just a lot of different type of, types of work uh, for Nickelodeon at the time. Um, Addicting Games was then sold to Defy Media about a year and a half in, maybe like two years in at that point. Um, so I was moved to a newly formed team called the Content Development Team, where basically we were developing content for mobile games. Uh, it was fine. I actually really liked my team, but the work I was doing was not really what I wanted to be doing at all. So I started looking for new jobs and this opportunity at Kickstarter came along and I was like, oh wow, that sounds really cool. I definitely want to do that. So I applied for the position, got the job, and now almost five years later, I am the director of games. So I basically run the category. I run the games category at Kickstarter. So it's a little wild. It's really interesting. Um, I have to make a lot of decisions. I have to, I have to, you know, be the manager person. Uh, but the core of what I do is basically advocate for creators on Kickstarter. So a lot of that is providing insight and feedback on um, projects and helping people as much as I possibly can. It's it's a super cool job. I, it's hard to kind of like find a one-to-one -one ratio of other positions in the games industry that are similar. Um, it's like part business development, part developer relations, part community management. It's, it's sort of like a lot of different things sort of rolled into one, um, which is really cool. I like having a multifaceted sort of like range of um skill sets which is pretty cool so that's pretty much it <laughs> yeah that's exactly the same reason that i love you know doing consulting because you're always doing something a little different every single mm -hmm. day and mm -hmm. it keeps it from getting crazy and i've been to that building back you know way back when when simon and schuster's publishing division was in the same place as mtv and, and mm -hmm. everything else and yeah it's, i can't imagine working in the chaos of Times Square. But. It was not so fun. It was also like we were across the street from Good Morning America. And so whoever was like a guest on Good Morning America inevitably would end up in the MTV offices. And so it was just every day there were security guards and celebrities. And it was just like, it was, it was exhausting and weird. I just need to get my email checked. I don't need all yeah. this. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's get this started. Okay, wait, we got one. I missed one. So Matthew from YouTube says, how early in development should I start a Kickstarter? So we recommend for video games. Um, so I, I have to answer this two different ways, which is video games and tabletop games, just because they are a little bit different. For video games, um, we say probably about 50% of the way through development. You should definitely have 30 seconds of gameplay that's going to be as close to what the final game is going to look like. Um, you should have that 30 seconds of gameplay you're going to showcase in your main video, and then you want to splice that up into a couple, like four, five, six, seven different GIFs that you can showcase throughout the page. But roughly, we see that's about 50% of the way through development. For tabletop games, um, it's, it is actually a little bit similar. Um, you should have a prototype that's as close to what the final game is going to be in terms of like gameplay. Again, the art can still be a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit more polished, uh, but you should probably have like a couple sample sizes and a couple sample packs and a couple prototype packs um, that are going to be as close to what the final project is going to look like. 
So our next one comes from Greach over on Twitch. Okay. Since when we ran our Kickstarter, there were tons of individuals and companies that messaged us saying that they could help us get tons of backers. I, we hear this a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on these services? We surpassed our goal without their help, but I wonder if any of them could have actually helped us. And so this ties into something you brought up the last time you, you did this, which mm -hmm. shocked me that only 30% of your revenue comes from people you don't already know? Yeah. Yeah. So that is for first time creators. So for first time creators, what we typically see is about 30 to 34% of your pledges will come in through Kickstarter itself, which means you as a creator are responsible for bringing in about 65 to 70% of your pledges from the community that you're able to build. As you continue to run Kickstarter projects, those numbers change. That 30 can increase to 35, that 35 can increase to 40 and so and so on and so on and so on. Um, and typically what that means is that you've basically built a community on Kickstarter of people that are like, oh yeah, we're you're a trustworthy creator. We'll definitely come back and continue to back your projects. Now, oh boy, the services that people promise. The simple answer is no, most of them are uh, scammers. Some of them are legit. Uh, but in general, what I typically tell people is like, you just have to do your research. So look up who these companies are, look up who these individuals are, talk to people that have used their services in the past. Don't just sort of say like, oh yeah, they're promising me, you know, I can get double the, the number of backers if I pay $2,000. A lot of times what that means is they send two tweets and then they basically invoice you for like two tweets. And you're like, this is ridiculous. I could have just done this myself. Um, just do your research. If it's like, I kind of go by the rule of like, if it feels wrong, it's probably wrong, right? Like if there's smoke, there's fire. This feels like it's scammy. It's probably scammy. Uh, but if you're like, this seems legit, this seems like, you know, they have all of these people that they say they've worked with. They have the, the metrics and the data that says that what they do is uh, worthwhile. Do that research and talk to people that have used those services in the past. So the next one is along the same lines. This comes from our Discord server. How big of a community should you have before doing the Kickstarter? You should have about double the size of what your funding goal is. So if you take your funding goal and you divide it by what the core game price is going to be, if it's 20 divided by 20, if so, for example, if your funding goal is 50,000 and $20 is like the $20 reward is what, you know, that's where people get the game, divide those numbers. That's about 2,500 people. Your community should be about 5,000 people. Now, when I say that, what I think some people hear is, oh, I need 5,000 people on Twitter. That's not the case. You want to think about where your community is from like a very larger holistic sort of viewpoint. So if that's 2,000 people on Twitter, 2,000 people on Facebook, and 1,000 people on a mailing list, great. That's 5,000 people. So the next one, I just lost my spot. Um, do you have some tips on how to make a campaign for teams that have never made a game before? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so if you've never made a game before, I mean, I would say that you definitely want to follow the sort of general guidelines that we sort of give everybody, right? So like have the 30 seconds of gameplay. Um, I think if you've never made a game before, I think it's as simple as it's just going to take you a little bit longer as someone who like has made a game before just because, you know, practice sort of makes perfect sort of thing. Um, I would also say that you want to continue to develop your skills, like continue to do those fundamentals, like 
just kind of always be making games. Um, but it's definitely not uncommon for people that have never made a game before to come to Kickstarter and fund. That's actually very, uh, that's not uncommon for tabletop games. That's pretty common, um, especially for like card games, because it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, for video games, I think that can be a little bit more challenging just because the work and the skill set needs to be pretty fine-tuned. Um, I would say try to practice like making small games before you are going to launch like a larger project on Kickstarter. Um, try to do some work for higher things. Try to do some game jams. I know game jams can be a little bit controversial, but like try to sort of like dip your toe in there a little bit before you're actually coming to Kickstarter and like launching a game. All right, so wait. Why are game jams controversial? Um, some people think that they uh, contribute to crunch culture, right? So you're working for like 24 to 48 hours straight. Um, I've seen some criticism that it, it does sort of create that like false equivalency that this is how you should be working. Um, I, I say it's sort of up to the individual. I think if it's like, this is the thing I know I'm going to be doing for 24 hours is just doing this game jam. I personally think it's fine, but I also think like you need to make the best decisions for yourself. All right, that had actually never occurred to me, but I can mm -hmm. totally see that. It's like we rant and rant and rant about how crunch culture is horrible and we shouldn't be endorsing it. And like, yeah. hey, sit down for a weekend and do nothing but code for 48 hours. Yeah, um, that, yeah I mean, that's interesting. I had actually never thought of that angle. Um, so another one from the Discord, uh, do you have some stats on the importance of actually showing the team and their faces? So we don't have any stats on that, but what I can say is that it's not uh, it's not a make or break sort of thing. It's not going to make or break your project. What's more important, again, is showcasing what the game actually is. Uh, there's a project that funded a couple years ago called Narita Boy. Uh, no one knows what they look like, uh, or if they do, they're very they're very secretive. Um, Showing your face, showing names and faces and things like that is not required by any means. Um, again, it's not going to make or break your project. The most important thing is to show what it is that you're making. All right. All right. I, we've got a long one. I'm not even going to post it in here because it would take the entire screen if I did. It says, hey, Anya, our team has made significant uses of Kickstarter to fund games previously raising significant six-figure amount of platform. Not just us, but many others have made uses of things such as add-ons, either through a service like Backerkit or providing on the campaign itself, a calculation of top uh, funds for us to handle manually. We have seen that there's now a native add-on system rolling out on Kickstarter, but there's mm -hmm. not a lot of information from support on what the timeline of access is. Is there any more information on the timeline or when these teams will have access? So the add-on feature that we're doing is currently in beta. Um, what you can do is just reach out to me and I can get you set up sort of through that process because it's still a feature that we're testing. I can't necessarily provide any dates right now. Um, but I know come next year, we'll have some more definitive answers. But again, if it's a feature that you're interested in pursuing, let me know. And I'm happy to start that discussion. And the follow up is they say, and since the points on Kickstarter being, since it points to Kickstarter being aware of popular meta features, does this mean that Kickstarter would consider the native integration of other features popular on other sites? We're always kind of looking at what's out there and what our community wants and needs. Um, our product team is very receptive to feedback. Um, you know, I would just keep in mind that we are, Kickstarter as a company is not a huge team. We're less than 100 people. Um, 
So as much as we would love to add a ton of things, and I have a whole host of features that I want to include just as like a games person, um, you know, I do kind of have to think about the site as a whole. Um, this is one of the challenges is because we're not just a games crowdfunding website. We, you know, there's 14 other categories, which means there's 14 other needs of different categories of different creators of different communities. So we try to make sure that we're as open and sort of like, uh, I don't want to say bare bones, but the things that I would love for games make sense just for games. So I have to be a little bit cognizant of like, this is a, this is a platform that's for, you know, 15 different categories of 15 different creative spaces. So the next one we have, it's a really good question. Mm -hmm. Matthew from YouTube says, I have autism. So communication mm -hmm. makes me nervous. How do I get a community? So I want to be careful about answering this question because I am not a mental health professional, nor am I a uh, doctor. <laughs> um, so I want to be very, I want to be very, very careful about how I answer this question because I don't want to give any sort of insight or advice that uh, any medical professional should be potentially giving. I would say there's two things that immediately come to mind. Um, one is you, if you have the funds, you are able to hire a community manager. So someone that is a professional in the field that is 100% devoted to just growing a community and managing a community. Um, there are a number of people on Twitter that are community managers, if you follow them. Um, if you are not able to hire them because we should pay people for you know the work that they're doing, free labor is just that, free labor, and it sucks. Um, they will pretty consistently post like tips, tricks, articles, things that you can read if you're like, this is something that I'm interested in doing, but I'm not really sure where to start. Uh, the names that I constantly use, the two names that I think are like two of the best in the industry are uh, Harris Foster and Victoria Tran. Victoria Tran just recently uh, moved over from Kit Fox to Inner Sloth. So Victoria is the community manager of Among Us, which is wild to think about. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's very cool. Um, and Harris is the community manager for Finji. They can also sort of point you to uh, other community managers that are in this space that are doing a lot of things. But there, there is a whole sort of like network and community on Twitter of just community managers. I also hear you from the communication makes you nervous standpoint. Um, I think a lot of it too is finding a way to to do communication through a virtual space, um, which is you know kind of what we're forced to do right now. So part of that is um, Twitter, as I just mentioned, but also Discord. Um, you asking me a question is already a form of communication. You ask the question concisely and you, you ask it exactly how you should ask it. Um, so sort of finding a way to communicate through spaces like Discord, Twitter, online sort of communities um, if you are comfortable with that is, is I think a little bit easier than sort of like face-to-face -face conversations, which even as someone who doesn't have autism, I, I understand getting nervous in that space. And so one, I saw the comment about my mic being lower. Let me know if this is better. But uh, one of the recent uh, features that we've done for IGB is uh, our our good friend Sri actually organized our entire YouTube catalog into playlists. You know, since I realized we have like 150 episodes out there now, oh, wow. um, so I just posted. You know, it, it's a long URL, but if you go to our YouTube page, uh, it's just YouTube slash C slash Indie Game Business. We actually have an entire 
playlist of talks that we've done on community building and victoria is actually in it because she was a guest on the show uh, last year and she's oh, also on our uh, on our discord so uh but she is extremely busy right now mm -hmm. um but yeah that so th that's awesome all right let me scroll up here another good question for matthew how do you know how much your Kickstarter needs? You are the one that is going to answer that question. I cannot answer that for you. I don't know your budgets. I don't know the type of game you're making. I don't know what software you're working with. I don't know what artist you're working with. You have to determine that answer for yourself. I would say uh, the easiest thing to do here is to just write out a budget. My art's going to cost this much. My licenses are going to cost this much. If it's a tabletop game, my printing, my manufacturing, and my shipping is going to cost this much. Add all of that up, and that's your answer. I, I can't tell you, unfortunately, I get this question a lot of like, well, how much do I know I should ask for? I'm not making your game. <laughs> so you have to answer that yourself. And so along those lines, tomorrow, Matthew, at 2 o'clock Eastern, Heather Chandler is going to be doing a session specifically called Building a Budget for Your Game. And so how you figure out all of this stuff. Um, and so the, the follow-up from, from Matthew is, is, so what do you do with the Kickstarter funds? You know, and the bigger question there is, you know, are there rules around what you can and can't do? And yes. how do you navigate that? You should basically 100% of what you you collect on Kickstarter needs to go towards the project. So specifically, you cannot donate anything to charity, um, you know, please don't buy a house. <laughs> uh, you know, the money should really go towards what the project is. If there's money that's left over, um, and this is something that does happen, it's rare. Even if someone's like, I just needed $10,000 and they made, you know, a million dollars, that money still goes somewhere. Because what that means is that there are people that are pledging for the thing. So it's not that there's, you know, $900,000 that's left over. It's that there's a lot of like, if you're if it's ten thousand dollars is what you needed and you made a million right what that means is that maybe you sort of only anticipated a hundred people were going to pledge to the project now you have like two hundred thousand people that pledge to the project for example i'm just throwing numbers out there but that means that you have to kind of you know go through that fulfillment process of continuing to like make the thing to fulfill what it is you promised you would do so our next one let me pull it up here I love the fact we're getting a lot of really, really good questions. So y'all mm -hmm. keep them coming. Um, how do I contact the press about a Kickstarter campaign to get coverage? Because we yeah. all know that that's tough now. Yeah. Well, so two things. One, um, press reliance is a thing that we see a lot of that is uh, not super necessary. I am not saying that you shouldn't contact press. What I'm saying is if you are able to get press, that's great. But I don't don't go into it with the anticipation that it's going to bring in a significant amount of pledges. Uh, the reality here is press doesn't like to write about Kickstarter projects as much as they have in the past, right? The end of the day, press is a business. Um, they are trying to just stay afloat like everybody else. Um, they rely on clicks in order to like, you know, generate ad revenue in order to stay in business. So there has to be a story. There has to be a reason as to why they're going to write about a Kickstarter project. Um, 
easiest thing to do, create a press release and then just send it out to as many people as you possibly can. Um, but if anybody writes back and is like, great, yeah, I'd love to do a story on this. Fantastic. But don't get discouraged if for whatever reasons, you know, press is like not picking your, your, the story of your project up. That is why we stress the importance of creating a community. That is true. Not only for Kickstarters, but any kind of press, you know, on your game as you're building this sort of stuff, because mm -hmm. the, it, it really is all about being able to tell that story you know, to, to the community because that's what they want. It's like, yeah. you know, I constantly, you know, half joke that there's like literally no point to send out press releases unless you just want a part of your website that says, here are the press releases we sent out because no one reads them anymore. Yeah. It's it's all about that story. Yeah. Um, all right. So from Twitch here, any plans to use Kickstarter from Colombia in Latin America? So we're currently not available in Colombia. Um, that may change come 2021. We're always sort of looking at new markets that we can possibly open in. I know there's a thriving games community in Colombia, so I know that these are things that are in discussion. Uh, but as of right now, we don't have plans currently. Alrighty, and the next one from our Discord. Mm -hmm. Some publishers offer to manage a Kickstarter campaign. Assuming you don't have a big community, can they help spread visibility to help you reach that goal? It's definitely possible. I know of a couple publishers in particular who uh, in the back end will run Kickstarter projects. The challenge here is if it's uh, uh, sometimes I'll see that there's like a, a number of projects that are being run by a publisher on a specific publisher account. Typically what happens there is they have to answer as to why, if you're a publisher, why are you coming to Kickstarter? Um, which is a totally fair question. The simple answer is it costs a lot of money. Uh, and so this kind of helps cut down on some of the costs of being a publisher. Uh, but I think if it's a publisher that has like a good reputation within the industry, um, I would also say a publisher that's run Kickstarter projects in the past. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that. So, and our next one, from Discord, is a demo impressible to sh or show enough gameplay? Oh, hold on a second. Is a demo impressible or is showing enough gameplay footage okay? Um, yeah, this, this is a question I get a lot. I would say the general rule of thumb is if you are comfortable showing your demo and sending that out for feedback, good or bad on the internet, <laughs> um, go ahead and include it. But it, if you don't have a demo, that's also totally okay. But the more important thing, again, is having that 30 seconds of gameplay. from NDP, what does a country need to do to get on the supported country list? Yeah, it's we have a whole team. We have an international team that's constantly looking at these uh, resources and data. And there's a lot of there's a lot that just kind of goes into what a new country launches. It's it's not as easy as people think. There's a lot that goes on. It's also government things just in terms of like money and, and laws and legality and things like that. Um, it is sort of in the hands of our, in our international team. I don't know what that process is, to be perfectly frank. Um, 
but I know that it is something that is uh, very arduous and uh, not easy, but it is something that we are constantly looking at as new countries that we can open in. Okay, so circling back to the press real quick, you know, are there any guidelines or do, the, do you, does Kickstarter have any specific, you know, advice for how to build a Kickstarter community? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's no different from just building a community in general for your game. I think about it in the sense of like, I get a lot of pushback on this of like, well, why can't I just launch my project on Kickstarter and then the money just rolls in? <laughs> um, and the simple answer is like, we're 11 years old, the, those days are gone. Uh, you kind of need to accept that, unfortunately. Um, but I think about it too, in the sense of like, if you were to release your game on Steam and say, but I just released it on Steam, everybody's gonna find it, right? It's kind of the same thing. Like you need to do the work to kind of build that community to get people to kind of come to your project or come to your game on Steam, exactly the same way that you need to do that work to come to Kickstarter uh, to essentially like build a community for people to pledge to your project. Uh, a lot of that is just online right now uh, in lieu of not being able to go to conferences, right? Uh, in the past, you could go to a PAX, you could go to GDC, you could go to Games, Games Week Berlin, um, Essen, which is a huge tabletop conference, um, Bit Summit. There's endless numbers of, of uh, events that you could go to. So instead, uh, we have great resources like Discord, uh, creating a Discord for your game, for your studio, for you, whatever it is. Um, that's a great way to kind of like start that process. But continuing to engage is the biggest one. So I, what I also see is people are like, but I created the Discord. And I'm like, great, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm just letting it do its thing. Like, no, you have to you have to engage with it. You have to like get, you have to get people to kind of come to it. You, every single day you have to be in there or you have to have somebody who's willing to be in there and sort of like continue to chat with people, um, you know, host events, things like that. Uh, Twitter is also a great resource because the entire games industry is on Twitter. Facebook is hit or miss. I would say Instagram, we see basically no return on investment there. Um, just because the way that Instagram is set up is it's not as simple as like a, a direct call to action. Um, it's Instagram is basically created to keep you on Instagram, um, which I get. It's a business model. Totally fine. Um, Reddit hit or miss again. There's a lot of rules with Reddit on terms of in terms of like self-promotion and things like that. Uh, but like really building a community where a community already exists and being part of that community. So don't just create a discord, make sure that you're in multiple discords, continue that sort of engagement process. Um, make sure you're following people on Twitter and engaging with the content that's on Twitter. Uh, don't just like post about your project, like talk to people, engage with people, like have those conversations, build those relationships. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, completely attached to the fact that you can't just make it make a discord yeah i'm, I'm managing one that's got about two thousand people in it now and so it's one of those things that very early on a community manager and there's a lot of freelance community managers out there yeah there you don't necessarily have to hire somebody full-time to do it um you know there's a lot of folks that will do it you know part-time that's a very important tool because you do you have to start you know we always tell folks as an indie dev, you're going to be building a community for one of two things. Either you're going to be justifying to a publisher that there's a, a need and a desire for this game, you know, and therefore you can show off your community, or mm -hmm. you're going to need that community to, you know, help fund or purchase your game, either through Kickstarter or retail or whatever later on. Mm -hmm. So there's literally no reason not to start one. Early. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
right, so from the Discord again, I received some advice on creating a Kickstarter video that says the video does not sell your product, it sells you, people first, project second. Do you find this to be accurate or should you sell the product 100% of the time on your page and all the sections that you have? I, I mean, I would sort of think about it in the sense of like, are people pledging to the project to buy you? right like for twenty dollars am i gonna get you or are you just gonna like show up at my doorstep or for twenty dollars are you going to send me a code to a game that i could download <laughs> um that's, and if it's the sorry. former don't do that that's yeah not that's, good. That's... that's that was a little sarcastic but like think about it in that sense right like i think there's a little bit of a healthy balance here i think if you are someone that is charismatic uh, personality and you're able to really showcase who you are in a way you know using you or your team or your personality or your story as a way to kind of uh, enhance the experience of what your game is that's totally fine but as I've said about a hundred times already the 30 seconds of gameplay is the most important thing it will supersede any sort of like fun little tidbit any bit that you want to do in your video it's going to supersede any sort of like you know, let's say that for whatever reason, and we, I see this from time to time, somebody's like, oh yeah, I have this background in like video editing and you do this like beautiful, you know, cinematic experience. If you have no footage of your game, nobody's going to know, nobody knows exactly what it is that you're like actually asking money for, because it looks like you're trying to make a movie. So if you're trying to make a movie, that's great. But then why are you making a video game? Um, that 30 seconds of gameplay is always going to be more important than anything else. All right. So the next one from Discord. And if you all out there are listening and I somehow missed your question, they are, you know, rolling through here pretty quickly. Uh, make sure you just repost it or ping me on Discord. I'll make sure we get it in here. Um, and of course, you know, we've got somebody in a bot selling followers of course we do all right so any opinions about live ab testing the kickstarter page during a live campaign um so i think this is okay as long as it's something that's not going to like fundamentally change what the project is so if you're like oh we're gonna roll out like so let's say that you're like we're gonna stick with like an 8-bit sort of look and then suddenly you're gonna roll out like a 3d like hand painted experience and people are like, what is happening? Like, I, this is not what we were pledging to. That's kind of a no, no. Um, just because it's going to confuse people. Uh, I would say it's fine for little things. If it's like, you want to change like images around, you want to put a new video up, you want to add a couple things as long as the core game is the same. Um, the time to do that is during what we call the project plateau. The plot, the project plateau, and the project plateau is actually very lengthy. Uh, it basically starts after the first seventy-two hours, so roughly the first three days, and ends about uh, two days before your campaign ends. So you have about twenty-seven, less than twenty-seven, really. You have about twenty days to kind of play with live A/B testing. Totally fine. Um, I, I encourage it, switch things up, make things look a little bit different. It also kind of shows to your community that you're taking this seriously and you're trying something and you're like willing to kind of like A-B test something to see like how people are responding to things. Um, that's totally cool. But again, as long as it doesn't fundamentally change what the project, the core project is, um, I would use it during the project plateau period. So are there 
any particular, I mean, because the, the project plateau is a good, a, a good point, a good jumping off spot for this. Are there any particular metrics through the course of the entire campaign that you should be watching? Um, I, so, hmm. I'm a little hesitant to answer that just because I'm nervous that if I say like, well, if you're 10% funded after three days, then you might want to reassess. Um, cause I've also seen 10% funded in three days and suddenly the project funds, like, like crazier things have happened. I would say if you're like 10% funded 50% of the way through your campaign period, uh, that might be a time that we, we might want to reassess and say, what's really going on here? That doesn't mean that we want people to cancel their projects because, again, you kind of never know what's going to happen. But I think it's worth just sort of looking at what's going on and saying, huh, okay, for whatever reason this isn't hitting the community, uh, people are not pledging to the project for whatever reason, let's really look at it. Maybe it's that you don't have a video. Maybe you have done no community building and so people just aren't finding it. Like, let's kind of assess what's actually going on. Um, but I don't, I, it's hard for me to think of something that's just like, this is the one thing that's going to make or break a project. All right, another one from Discord. What months of the year are the best ones for launching a video game campaign? And are there any times to stay away from? Yes. So the best times to launch are roughly the end-ish of January, beginning of February through the beginning of May. The second best time is the middle of August through the beginning of October. Um, now is a bad time to launch a project because it's the holiday season. And I understand why people would say like, oh, but it's the holiday season. You know, uh, people are buying things. You're correct. We are not a store, however. Uh, so there's a little bit of a disconnect there where like, yes, people will pledge to a project, but because people's finances are tied to, again, that call to action of like, I need this thing on this date for holiday seasons, whatever it is, um, people are less likely to pledge to Kickstarter projects simply because it's not that immediate like return of, okay, I bought the thing and now I can give the thing. It takes time to make Kickstarter projects. Um, Summer is not a bad time, but we do see that uh, there's a higher return on investment come uh, after the sort of like summer vacation months. And that goes a um, along with what we say about a lot of indie devs too. It's like don't launch in December. Don't you know, let the holidays have their big AAA releases, and then you can jump in and get going on it. Um, all right. So any tips? about the rewards that we can offer to backwards and how, how can this help us increase our community? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the game is the most important thing, obviously. Um, multiple copies of games is great too. Uh, what we see that's super, super effective is uh, customizable content. And so specifically what I mean is for like a high, a high ticket reward, let's say like $3,000, four $5,000, somewhere within that range. Let's say that you get like three copies of the game and you get an executive producer credit. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that the backer is doing anything. They just get their name in the game as an executive producer. That's like, that's really big. People love stuff like that. Um, you can also do a limited reward tier of some kind where uh, let's say it's like, talk to your artist, talk to your coder, talk to your programmer, talk to your team. Uh, and you can do something where like a backer can create a, can help design, you know, a character or help design a level, or you can have that 
uh, backers likeness in the game of some kind stuff that where the backer is essentially like um, mortalized within the game is really cool. All right. Bear with me. All right, so obviously the industry has done going through a whole lot of changes this year and generally for the better. I mean, when we're talking about revenue and things like that, how has that changed on your side with Kickstarter and different campaigns? I mean, what has the pandemic done to, you know, the ecosystem? Yeah, man, I get this question a lot. And I, to be perfectly honest, I feel very conflicted about the, the answer. Um, the simple answer is we have had one of our best years on record, uh, we had a billion dollars pledged just to tabletop games this year. We had four different video games that all made over a million dollars. We have one of the best, um, we have one of the best years on record for video games since like 2015, just in terms of the amount of money that's been pledged, the amount of money that's been raised, the number of projects that have funded our success rate. Um, our numbers are just bonkers. They're, they're so wild to see through this year. I personally get a little bit conflicted about this because I have a lot of friends that are out of work. Uh, obviously with the saxophone, I'm part of a creative community here in New York city. A lot of my friends, they haven't had, they haven't had work in nine months. They're living paycheck to paycheck based on the measly amount that our terrible government is giving everybody. Um, because apparently we just don't care about people and that's cool. And that's a fun thing to process every single day in this global pandemic. Uh, so I feel a little bit weird, uh, you know, speaking to the success of Kickstarter and, and uh, specifically the games category. Um, but then I try to sort of rectify that with, you know, for all of the craziness that's going on right now. And I shouldn't say crazy because that's, that's the incorrect word for all of the, um, unforeseen circumstances <laughs> you can also use that shit storm that's fine too okay cool <laughs> for all of the just shitty things that have happened in this year and there's so much just in not just professional lives personal lives you know and just all the lives that have been lost this year um i am proud to be part of a community and i am proud to work for a company that's able to infuse a little bit of positivity and good into the world and so while I don't believe that our numbers are necessarily indicative of us, like, you know, rolling out hundred dollar bills and like fanning ourselves with them or anything like that. What has been really cool is that I get to be part of a creative community in a medium that I love, which is games. That's been able to continue to allow a lot of these game companies to exist. Um, so on one hand, while I'm watching a lot of my personal life fall apart, watching a lot of my friends, you know, struggle to stay in New York City where I live, where it's really expensive to live here. On the other end of it, a lot of my other my other games life, my professional life is, do, is doing incredibly well. And it's in an industry that I love and it's in a field, in an artistic field that I absolutely love. So it kind of evens out in a way. But the simple answer, that's a bit of a personal rant more than anything. Uh, but the simple answer is this has been one of our best years on record for uh, not just tabletop, but video games on Kickstarter. It You bring up, I mean, it's a personal rant, but it's a rant a lot of us have. And, and it's a something that we don't talk about a lot but we i mean one we are very fortunate to be in the video game industry which has not not only not really suffered like a lot of other industries it's actually mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who you know don't have a job at the moment and we, we mm -hmm. realize that but in general yeah. 
our industry has done really well and we're fortunate. And so mm -hmm. it's not just you, it's, it's, we're all sitting around looking at this, you know, I live in an area that's a very tourism based economy and now it's doing great, but early in the summer, it was horrible. So yeah, we, it's something we all have to keep in mind, but yeah, it's, it's not just you. Uh, all right. So next from the discord are ads effective in building email lists and wish lists. Yes, um, ads are incredibly effective. My uh, senior outreach of Tabletop, John Rue Roderick, uh, has a, in a wide range of knowledge on this topic. Um, I would be more than happy to uh, loop him into any conversations that people would like to have specifically about um, the most effective way to run ads. Um, I'll be perfectly honest, this is this is also the, the job of, you know, me being a boss is I hire people who are smarter than me and make sure that... Uh, they teach me <laughs> as much as I can hopefully, te hopefully teach them. Uh, but his knowledge of ads and running ads is, is incredible. So how do you all select the games that are, you know, in the favorites? I'm so glad that it only took 42 minutes to get this question uh, asked because it's the number one question that I get. Uh, so we have a curation team who manage all of our features on Kickstarter. Uh, we as the games team, there's three of us. There's myself, there's John, who I just mentioned, and we also have Michael Lieb, who's our European outreach person. Um, we are able to provide some insight into what projects we're currently working on and who we're working with and say like, hey, this is a really cool project. You should definitely feature it. Um, the easiest way to do that is, I mean, one, have a great project, uh, and two, make sure that you talk to us. We want to advocate for you as creators to Kickstarter as a whole. Um, it's not based on an algorithm. It's not based on how many backers you have. It's not based on how much money you're bringing in. None of that really matters. Um, it's impressive and, and you know, the, the kind of like, unfortunate capitalism side here is that if you're making a bunch of money on Kickstarter, it's going to get noticed. Uh, but we, as you know, John, Michael and I more than anything, love the smaller projects. We love to advocate for the projects that are like, you know, one to two people teams, uh, that have like a smaller funding goal that are just like interesting and bespoke and unique. So we're not saying that sending Anya extra saxophone reads will get you posted. You know. Oh, if you can guess my Why? read size and you can guess my preferred read, that'll get you featured. <laughs> I played saxophone like in middle school. That was that was the extent of mine. So from the Discord, sometimes seemingly high quality games fail on Kickstarter. Does this happen due to having too small of a community, or are there other common reasons? Um, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it can come down to being a little bit too sure of yourself. Uh, I think what sometimes happens too is people rely on one specific community. Um, I've seen this happen a handful of times where like a big Twitch person will come uh, and they're like, oh yeah, I'll have all my, my followers just like pledge to the project. Uh, and that happens where their followers and their fans and their community does. Um, but you have to think about it in the sense of like people are watching these streamers specifically to to watch their streams. They're not necessarily watching them because they want to see the content that they're putting out, they're coming out with in terms of making a video game. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a disheartening process. Um, but I think regardless of who you are as a person or regardless of what the game is, you still need to follow. And and to be perfectly honest, like I think this is one of the coolest things about Kickstarter is that it does sort of even the playing field for people. Um, so regardless of who you are, regardless of, you know, the pedigree of your game or the 
acknowledgement of your game or the the uh, notoriety of your game, you still need to do the exact the exact same amount of work as someone who's like you know starting out in the industry and launching a Kickstarter project. So next one from Discord. Are there certain video game genres doing significantly better or worse than others? Mm -hmm. uh, I find that first-person shooters don't do very well. And I think one of the reasons that is is because the amount of work that it takes to actually make a first-person shooter is... It's a lot. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, and there's a lot of money that is sort of put into making those games, right? Uh, these, like, big, like, you know massive RPGs. We're talking about like Dragon Age or like Mass Effect, things like that. Um, there's a lot of money that gets, that's put into those games. Now, smaller sort of like adventure games, arcade games, uh, small RPG games, puzzle games, um, just like indie games in general, whatever, like if you think of an indie game, you know, whatever that means to you, um, those are typically going to do incredibly well on Kickstarter. They're a little bit smaller, you know, two to four, sometimes six, seven, eight hours of gameplay versus like 30, 30 to 40 hours of gameplay. Um, that's just, that's a bigger budget that you have to work with. Um, indie games are really the heart and soul of, of what video games do well on Kickstarter. Are there certain pricing tiers or budget tiers that you see do better in general for indie games? Yeah, um, we see that about fifty thousand to about one hundred and fifty thousand in terms of a, um, a, a funding goal. That's 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 like the sweet spot. Um, anything that's less than ten thousand typically doesn't do very well, just because people are like, "What is that? How are you making a game for seven thousand dollars? Like, what? That's why." I mean, honestly, how are you making a game for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars? That's a conversation for another day. Um, but we see typically about 50,000 to about 150,000 is like, that's kind of the sweet spot for video games on Kickstarter. So awesome. All right. What other, so we're, we finally hit a little pause in questions here. Um, so we only got a few more minutes anyway. So if you do have a question that you won't answer, make sure you get it in chat, either in wherever you're watching us right now or mm -hmm. in discord. What, I mean, aside oh, from, oh, go ahead. You guys. I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to say to you, like, if you are not comfortable asking a question in a public forum, which I never ask questions in public forums, um, please feel free to reach out to me, email, Twitter, whatever is fine. My email is anya at kickstarter.com. Um, my DMs are open on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at anyayna. I'm happy to answer your questions on either one of those forums. Yeah, it took me a little bit to actually realize that that was your name forwards and backwards when I first started. Yeah. I was like, this is an odd <laughs> name. And I was like, oh, now I see. I thought I was very clever when I made it. <laughs> you know, more so than me just putting my name on there and doing it. I couldn't get my actual one because there was a major league baseball pitcher named Jay Powell. So yeah, uh -huh. I ended up doing it backwards. I mean, <laughs> so aside from just the volume of deals and, and, and revenue that's coming into Kickstarter right now. Mm -hmm. The are there more are, are there more symbiotic relationships that you're seeing between board games and video games? I know because I know of all the stuff that I've bought on Kickstarter throughout you know its lifetime, I think maybe one wasn't a video game or a board game. You know, mm -hmm. are you seeing some of those projects come together with you know, board games that are becoming video games. Mm -hmm. or, or oh, yeah. 
processes? Yeah, I mean, last year, Divinity Original Sin came back with the board game. Uh, they launched a board game version. Um, I, that team is just, they're working hard because they came out with Baldur, Baldur's Gate 3 this year. Um, so that, oops, sorry, that's my calendar. Um, so they're working hard. Um, Frostpunk also, uh, which was a video game a couple years ago, launched the board game version of that. Darkest Dungeon board game came out. Um, Resident Evil also launched this year a board game version. What I typically see is that it's more video games being translated into board games versus board games being translated into video games. That seems to be a little bit more difficult, but it's, it's, I, I don't want to say it's a trend and I don't want to say it's common just because I don't think we have enough, like this is just completely anecdotal evidence that I see a number of uh, video games that get translated into board games. I also know like a cool mini or not, uh, super prolific board game company. It wasn't funded on Kickstarter, but it was huge last year. There was a God of War board game that they ended up doing. It's So I, we always talk about the cycles in this industry. And mm -hmm. that is one right there that's fantastic because we always think of, or we used to think of board games and video games being somebody has taken a board game, be it years ago with you know the usual Scrabble Monopoly and all that kind of good stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and turning it into a video game. And so we saw that with Ticket to Ride, but now we're seeing the actual opposite take place, which is what we're seeing in a lot in the licensing of a lot of other things too. Now it's not yeah. just like let's take your movie and turn it into a video game. Now it's let's take your video game and turn it into a movie. Mm -hmm. Now inevitably we're going to hit a point where it's like these licensed board games aren't going to be nearly as interesting to people. Mm -hmm. Are they still? Are we still building that momentum and they're doing well or is it something that's kind of plateauing and i'm gonna go let my dog out real quick before she drives me nuts um i don't know if i am the person to answer that question quite honestly um i think that is a little bit more of a larger industry question for kickstarter specifically um i think it's something that just kind of that i think that that is a relationship that makes a lot of sense um I think a lot of, uh, IDW, for example, does a lot of licensing of um, properties and they make board game versions of different properties. And I think no matter what, the reason that licensing is so interesting is because there's limits to what those licenses are. And so once that license is sort of that license limit is up and it's you're able to kind of like say like, great, I can buy this license for like five years or something like that. Um, it makes sense as to why someone would want to do a game version of a license that's really popular or a board game version of a video game license or vice versa or a movie version, whatever it is. Uh, I also think it's just about this state of constantly needing to churn out content. Uh, we're not, we're always starved for content. And especially now we're like, we watched everything on Netflix. We've watched everything on Hulu and, you know, finally all these new uh, TV shows are coming out. I think we're constantly starved for new content. Um, and I also think quite honestly, there are certain mechanics that are just easy, right? So it's easy to do a card game it can be easy to do a card game version of a property that is well-beloved just because you can kind of like slap on, like if you're like, I'm going to do, you know, once upon a time, Uno or something like that. Um, I think stuff like that makes a lot of sense. But I, but again, I, I would say I am not the best person to answer that question. 
So uh, we, we've only got a couple of minutes left here, and we're going to end on a completely loaded question for you. Great. What's your favorite indie game project on Kickstarter? Ooh, of all time. That's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Um, I mean, technically, there are pretty much all indie game projects. Uh Ooh, I have to look at my list now. Let's see. How about I just answer that question for this year? We can, projects. Uh, we'll, we'll allow that. Yes, that, that's good. Okay. For projects that have funded this year. Let's see. I'm looking at my list. Uh, oh, probably Sea of Stars. I think Sea of Stars was a really, really cool project that funded this year. That's from the Sabotage Studio team. They made um, The Messenger. Um, and I just think it's interesting because they came to Kickstarter with a prequel versus a sequel. Uh, and it, the art looks so cool and they just like, oh man, they did, they did some incredible work on that game. I'm excited to be able to play it soon. So when does that one do out? You know, I don't know. I think it's next year. I'll have to double check. Um, it should be on their Kickstarter project though. There's, gosh, there's so many projects that. Has yeah. the while you're looking that up, has mm -hmm. the rate of successful projects increased over the last year? Yes, the rate of successful projects has increased. Um, the uh, success rate for tabletop projects this year during a global pandemic is about seventy percent. Um, for video games, it's gone from like twenty-one percent to thirty percent, which is massive. Um, of all time. The video game success rate is like 21%. This year in 2020, it's up to 30%. So, you know, it it's it just is steadily increasing. And again, I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, which is that like this need for content. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Netflix at this point could do a series on C-SPAN and it would get like high because we are we're, we're constantly running out of stuff i would watch that show yeah i know really <laughs> as long as like or aaron sorkin who's like a terrible human being but as long as he directed it great i'll watch it yeah. so thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this mm -hmm. i mean this yeah. is always a very popular segment and we greatly appreciate it so um if you've got you know further questions Anya is is on our Discord server from time to time. We got a whole section of post show question and answers that we can do there. But then, sure. can you give your email address one more time? Yeah, so is there a place that I can type it? Or you know? um, I'll tell you what. If you tell it to me, I'll type it. Sure, it's a n y a at Kickstarter.com. That's a pretty easy one. It's pretty easy. All right. So there you are in chat. If you have questions, and I know we have one person, you know, that is interested in getting into that add-on to beta. Cool. Um, oh, Twitter, I know. It's Anya. Oh, wait. Is it two A's in the middle? A-N-Y-A-Y-N-A. -A -Y -N -A. It's Anya as a palindrome, basically. Uh, see, now I'm completely... Ah, there we go. There you go. Good job. All right. Awesome. So thank you, Art, and, and everybody stay tuned. The stream's going to go down for like two minutes while we reload the next talk. And for those of you who are interested in starting your video game studio, uh, our next guest is Jeffrey Rose, a longtime attorney in the, in the industry. 
uh, and he's doing how to start your video game studio views from a lawyer's perspective. Uh, so yeah, y'all stay tuned. Anya, thank you so much. Keep up the good work because God knows y'all are keeping us occupied right now. <laughs> keep them coming. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. All right. We'll see everybody shortly. Cool. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.